We are picking up, we left off last week with uh, Paul being captured by the Roman soldiers, about 200 soldiers surrounding him, bound him with chains on his hands and his feet, taking him up to the Storia Fortress, and which is the Roman soldiers' barracks at the northwest corner of the temple. It's where they stayed, and basically he was getting beaten by a group of Jews who were accusing him of bringing a Gentile into the non-Gentile part of the temple. And they were really just looking for any reason to get rid of Paul because he didn't line up with the Jewish practices anymore. And so now the centurions, the commander, Claudius, Lysias has now taken him up to this barracks. They're actually on the, the top patio, and they can overlook the crowd. And the commander really doesn't even know what he's got Paul in custody for. Just that they were beating him, and, and literally God used the Roman Empire to come in and rescue Paul. Think about that for a second. They came in and rescued him and took him to safety, not knowing what was going on, not knowing why the crowd was riled up. And he looked at the man and spoke in Greek to the man and said, can, can I say a word? And because he spoke Greek to the man, he's like, oh, this, this guy's sure, you can, you can speak to them. So that's where we pick up today. And we're in Acts chapter 22, the last verse there, verse 40. It says, after he had given permission, and just remember, the commander had no idea why he was arresting Paul. He, he has to know, one, so he can tell Paul why he's being arrested, but two, he has to write a, a report to the Roman Empire stating exactly what he's done. And he doesn't know what to write in his report. He says, Paul stood on the steps and motioned with his hand to the people. I'm assuming it was one hand because he was chained up. He says, when there was a great hush, he addressed them in Aramaic, which would be Hebrew, which would be the Jewish language. So now he's addressed the Roman soldiers in Greek, and now he's getting ready to speak in Aramaic, Hebrew. He says, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense before you. When they heard that he was addressing them in Aramaic, they became even quieter. They began to listen when he actually spoke in their language. He continued, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, that being Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strictness of our ancestral law. I was zealous for God, just as all of you are today. Now, he just basically gave them a resume of him being this five-star Jewish Pharisee. He knows the law. He knew it very well. And he lived it accordingly. You go back to Galatians chapter 1 when he wrote that letter to the church at Galatia. He said this, 
For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond my contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. He had this reputation among all the Jews. He knows the law. He carries out the law. He obeys the law. In verse 4 he says this, I persecuted this way, that's a capital W in my translation, you get the way is referring to the Christian way because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John fourteen six, He says, I persecuted this way to the death, arresting and putting both men and women in jail. As both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. After I received letters from them to the brothers, I traveled to Damascus to arrest those who were there and bring them to Jerusalem to be punished. I take you back to 1 Timothy 1.15. He says this, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them. I'm the chief of sinners. When he makes that statement in 1 Timothy 1.15, he's literally saying, I'm referring to what I used to do as a Pharisee, as a Jew, and taking these people and killing them because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. So when he says, I'm the chief of all sinners, I'm the worst sinner there is, that's what he's referring to, his life before Jesus. Nowhere else in all of Paul's letters or any time after Acts does he ever refer to himself as a sinner, except for there. And it's only in reference to his life as a Pharisee that's forcing the laws onto people and actually killing people who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Everywhere else in Paul's writing, He refers to himself and to you, the church, as saints, as perfect, as holy and redeemed. You got to get that right. I'm not a sinner. That's not my identity. Yeah, I still do. I still do. My behavior is still selfish and fleshly, yes. But that's not my identity. My identity is that I'm a saint and sometimes I sin. Paul continues and he tells about his testimony. If you go back August of 2019, we taught the passage in Acts chapter 9. And this is exactly what happened to Paul. His conversion experience. He tells it again. And he'll tell it again later. We hear... Paul's conversion experience three times in Acts. He says, As I was traveling and approaching Damascus about noon, an intense light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Think think what's happening here. He's at the top of this fortress and all the Jews are below him. The Roman soldiers are around him, 
and he's telling what happened on the road to Damascus. He's not just telling a story, but he's got a mixed audience. He says, I answered, who are you, Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. The crowd, that crowd that's below him, believes that Jesus was the imposter Messiah, that the disciples actually went to the tomb and they stole his body. And now Paul's saying, I was once greater than all of you as a Jew. Then Jesus came to me and he revealed himself to me as the Messiah. And this is his audience. They don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus revealed himself to Paul and no one else in the party. Think about that for a second. As he's on the road to Damascus, everything that he's been against, everything that he killed for, revealed himself to him. Think about that, the time that Jesus revealed himself to you. Pretty important time. Pretty important time. Verse 10, he says, I said, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told everything that you have been assigned to do. Since I couldn't see because of the brightness of the light, he was blinded. I was led by the hand by those who were with me and went into Damascus. Someone named Ananias, a devout man according to the law, who had a good reputation with all the Jews living there, came and stood by me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And in that very hour, I looked up and I saw him. And he said, The God of our ancestors has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth, since you will be a witness for him to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you delaying? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. This truly was Paul's Damascus Road experience. He came to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. A miracle truly happened. Actually, several miracles happened. He says, After I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him telling me, Hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. He's saying this to that audience that is already beaten him. They're not going to accept what you have to say. And he says, but I said, Lord, they know that in synagogue after synagogue, I had those who believed in you imprisoned and beaten. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I stood there giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who killed him. 
I really am the chief of all sinners. I'm the worst. He said to me, Go, because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. <laughs> he said that. He said that publicly. It's like one of the things like, you know if you say this, you're going to rile everybody up. But he's literally said to the people, they're not going to believe what I have to say because they saw me live my life one way and now all of a sudden I'm living my life the other way. They're not going to buy it. And Jesus said, well, yeah, don't worry about them. You're going to go out, everybody else, including the Gentiles, and watch this. They listened to him up to this point. They raised their voices shouting, wipe this man off the face of the earth. He should not be allowed to live. As soon as Paul said the word Gentiles, they turned on him. I mean, he's given this story. They've lived for miracles. They gave him an ear because they're, Paul's telling a miraculous story. But as soon as he said the word Gentiles, man, just chaos erupted. <laughs> You you think you take it take it to the day if if Putin had the same conversion experience today, people would still turn on him. You think about it. I mean that that's how serious this was. Paul was one way had a conversion experience and people weren't going to buy it, and they turned on him. It says verse twenty three as they were yelling and flinging aside their garments. And throwing dust into the air. The commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, directing that he be interrogated with the scourge to discover the reason they were shouting against him like this. So now for a second time, he's been rescued by the Roman soldiers. They're wanting to kill Paul, but he, the commander takes him into the barracks and he's still trying to figure out how to write his report. What is it I've arrested Paul for? We're going to go in here and we're going to we're going to beat the tar out of him. He's speaking in Aramaic and Hebrew and the Roman soldiers they couldn't understand him. But obviously Paul's speaking and he got the crowd all riled up. He's become the instigator for some reason. And so now we're going to get you out of here because you've got them all riled up and we're going to take you in here and we're going to interrogate you, which could result in either crippling or just this near-death experience to get out what it is that you're doing. What are you saying? Why are you getting people so riled up? Verse 25 says, As they stretched him out for the lash... Paul said to the centurion standing by, Is it legal for you to scourge a man who has a Roman citizen and is uncondemned? He, so he stood before the Jews and he said, I'm a Jew, I was born in Tarsus. But now he says to the Romans in Greek, he's like, Is it lawful for you? I'm a Roman citizen. It was unlawful for a Roman citizen to flog or scourge, scourge a man who was a Roman citizen if they hadn't been condemned yet. And he hadn't had a trial. 
Verse 26 says, when the centurion heard this, he went and reported to the commander saying, what are you doing? What are you going to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. Then the commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, he said. The commander replied, I bought this citizenship for a large amount of money. He's like proud to be a Roman. He said he paid for it. You couldn't actually pay for a Roman citizenship, but you could probably bribe somebody. But he's kind of curious, how is Paul a Roman citizen? I, I paid for mine. Paul said, but I was born a citizen. Paul was a Roman citizen by birth. And Tarsus, where he was born, was a free city. The emperor Pompey made Cilicia a Roman province in 64 BC. And its capital, Tarsus, was a free city from the time of Augustus. So therefore, because of Paul's birth, although it's unknown exactly how his parents became citizens of Rome. Paul was a Roman citizen by birth, which was a privilege that not many people had at the time. And he says, and it says, so those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. The commander too was alarmed when he realized Paul was a Roman citizen and he had bound him. There was no doubt that Claudius and his men were especially kind to Paul now. All of a sudden it it changed. He spoke Hebrew, Aramaic, and he said that he was a Jew. But now, now that he's a Roman citizen, everything changed. God was using the great power of this empire once again to protect Paul. Verse 30, it says, The next day, since he wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews... Claudius, he's still determined to find out the reason for him being beaten and arrested so he could fill out his report. He released him and instructed the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to convene. He brought Paul down and placed him before them. Now, the Sanhedrin, if you don't know what the Sanhedrin is, we really talked about this a lot in the Gospels because Jesus had to face the Sanhedrin. But it was a a group that was posed of 71 people. It had the high priest at the time, which was Ananias, 35 Pharisees, and 35 Sadducees. And they really had the authority that the Romans had given them to pass judgment and even to take life if needed so. It was their responsibility to interpret and apply the sacred Jewish law to the affairs of the nation. So now, Commander Claudius has turned over Paul to the Sanhedrin, and his men stayed in this trial. They stayed there. Why is that? Because they were responsible for arresting Paul. They took him there, and if they were going to kill Paul, they had to have a reason for it. We get to chapter 23, just a few more verses. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, Brothers, 
identifying himself as a Jew. I have lived as a Jewish citizen my life before God in all good conscience to this day. Paul is saying, I've lived my life according to the Jewish law. The conscience, it's one of Paul's favorite words that he uses. He used it twice in Acts and 21 times in his letters. The word means to, to know with, to know together. Conscience is this, it's this inner judge or witness that approves when we do right and disapproves when we do wrong. Everybody is born with a conscience. Even before the law came along, which was in Exodus, the second book of the Old Testament, we have to go back to Genesis and we can see when, okay, Cain killed his brother Abel. There was no law against killing at that time because the law hadn't come along. But Cain definitely had a conscience. He knew it was wrong to kill his brother. All men are born with a conscience. Now, as Dale saying, my old stone heart was thrown away, removed, and now I have a new heart. I have a Holy Spirit living inside of me. And I am more reliant on the Spirit inside of me to guide me than I am for my conscience to guide me. I have a holy living God that directs my life. I believe I still have a conscience. But I'm not dependent upon that conscience. If I'm dependent upon the conscience, then I'm really living out of my own flesh. And so so Paul's literally saying, the time that I lived my life as a Jew under the Jewish law, I was conscious of the law and I lived my life by the law. Now we live our life by the Spirit. So he said this, I've lived my life and my conscience is clear. And as soon as he said that, verse 2, it says this, the high priest Ananias, not to be confused with Annas, the priest that was in Acts chapter 6, the high priest Ananias ordered those who were standing next to him to strike him on the mouth. He said, I was a good Jew. I lived my life according to the law, and I have no conscience for what I've done right now. It's a clear conscience. And he was instructed to be slapped on the mouth, which is one of the greatest insults that you could ever give a person. It's the same thing that happened to Jesus. John chapter 18, verse 22 says this. When he had said these things, one of the officials standing by slapped Jesus saying, is this the way you answer the high priest? Exactly what happened to Paul that occurred to Jesus. Verse 3. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. You are sitting there judging me according to the law. He's looking at Ananias, the high priest, and he's saying this to him. 
you're sitting there judging me according to the law and yet in violation of the law, are you ordering me to be struck? Those standing by nearby said, do you dare revile God's high priest? They, they said to Paul, you going to speak to the high priest like that? And Paul's reply is, I, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, replied Paul. Paul had been on the road for 12 plus years. He hadn't been a part of the Sanhedrin for a while. Was the high priest not wearing something that Paul was used to? Was it late at night and they just came there and whatever they were wearing? There was nothing that identified Ananias as the high priest to Paul. And he knows, for it is written... In the law, he quotes the law from Exodus, you must not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So literally, when they asked Paul, you, you going to speak like that? Paul did not apologize. Rather, he showed respect for the office, but not for the man. A Ananias was was absolutely one of the most corrupt men ever to be named high priest. He stole tithes from other priests and he did all he could to increase his authority. He was known as a brutal man who cared more for Romans' favor than Israel's welfare. He was playing both sides. And so Paul says you're going to be struck yourself. He was speaking prophetically because God indeed, he took out this wicked man. When the Jews revolted against Rome in the year 66, Ananias had to flee for his life because of his sympathetic heart for the Romans. The Jewish guerrillas came in, found him hiding in an aqueduct in Herod's palace, and they killed him. It was a dishonorable death for a despicable man. And Paul was prophetic at this point. Verse 6, it says, When Paul realized that one of them there were Sadducees and the other part were Pharisees, even though they're one court system, the Sanhedrin, you had the Pharisees and Sadducees. This would be similar to the Senate with both the Democrats and the Republicans. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. They all had their own set of interpretations of the law, and they didn't quite get along. Paul realized the situation. He's very familiar with the Sanhedrin, so what does he do? He redirects. Watch what he does. He cried out in the Sanhedrin, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, son of Pharisees. I'm being judged because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, and neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees affirm them all. He's like, I know that they're focused on me, and they want to destroy me right now, but I'm going to redirect and get them arguing against each other. I'm going to bring up the word resurrection. And I'm not going to just speak about general resurrection. I'm going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. He witnesses to the Sanhedrin. He's telling the story about Jesus and Jesus being the Messiah. 
it's not just about the resurrection, but it's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when he brings it up, he brings it up. The shouting grew loud, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party got up and argued vehemently. We find nothing evil in this man. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? Since Paul believed in the resurrection of Jesus, he automatically fell on the side of the Pharisees because they believed in a resurrection. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, but the Pharisees did. So automatically, they're taking him aside and it's like, why should we do anything to Paul? He believes like we do. And he was a Pharisee. Verse 10, it says, When the dispute became violent, the commander feared that Paul might be torn apart by them and ordered the troops to go down, take him away from them, and bring him into the barracks. That's the third time the Roman Empire, this great power and authority, rescued God's man. The third time. In the last verse we look at today. The following night, the Lord stood by him, Paul, and said, Have courage. For as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so it is necessary for you to testify in Rome. What? Look what it said. The following night, the Lord stood by him. There's red letters. It's Jesus. You realize what he just said in that one sentence right there. Paul's taken in captivity. He's like, Lord, I, I, I've professed your name over and over. I've To the Jews, to the soldiers, to the Sanhedrin. And he's like... Did you catch what I said, Paul? So it is necessary for you to testify in Rome? What has Paul been writing in all of his letters? I hope to get to Rome. I hope to get to Rome. I hope to get there to encourage you to hear the great things that you're doing in Rome. I want to go. I can't get to Rome because i got to go here. And now Jesus is literally standing beside him and says, uh, you're going to go to Rome. And you're not even going to have to pay for it. They're going to take you. <laughs> It'll be on their dime. But wait, but wait, 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 wait. Don't forget those first words. He says, have courage. Some of your translations say, be of good cheer. It's the same thing. Have courage. Take courage. You realize how many times Jesus said, take courage, have courage. He spoke to the palsied man in Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. And to the woman who suffered with a hemorrhage in Matthew chapter 9. He shouted them to the disciples in the storm in Matthew chapter 14. Have courage. And he repeated in the upper room. John chapter 14 through 17, actually in chapter 16, he told the disciples, do not be afraid. Have courage. In a world 
that is full of chaos right now. I envision my Lord standing by me saying, take courage. Take courage. I communicate that message to you today. I wish I could communicate that message to the people in Ukraine. There are many missionaries, many churches, many pastors that are still there in Ukraine proclaiming this message. Take courage. Take courage. Yeah, you've lost everything. Take courage. We can always take courage in times of difficulty because the Lord is with us and he promises that he'll see us through it. Lord, I trust you this morning with your word just as you proved it with Paul. You showed up for Paul many times. And so today, there's um, your children here in this room that need to hear this message just to take courage. They're in a difficult situation. And I trust you. I trust you with them. That they would find courage in you. Lord, thank you for today and just thank you for your word. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.